Welcome to the 67th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with a T1D circus acrobat and world traveler, Drew Butler. Diet peeps, <laughs> thank you as always for listening. As I'm excited to share this unique perspective from someone living with type 1 who embarked on 12 months of traveling abroad with remote year one whole year, all your diabetes stuff together. And Drew does a fabulous job sharing his late onset diagno- no- diagnosis journey, travel tips, and life with diabetes as a circus acrobat. Please note. This episode was particularly challenging, so I hope you will overlook some of the weird audio glitches that took place over the two-day recording time frame. And all I have to say is, damn you, Mercury Retrograde. Thank you for wrapping it up. But before we get started, I want to share a few quick announcements. Number one, do you have a diabetes hack you'd like to share or a confession? For example, what was your craziest low BG snack? I mean, I've scraped crackers from in between couch cushions. Have you ever embarrassed yourself when high at a social function? Or anything you care to share anonymously? And this one is a good one, the one that's coming up. We've all got a story and and we could probably use a good laugh. So feel free to send me a speak pipe message on Diabetes Daily Grind website or a voice memo to amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Let's start with today's confession slash hack diabetes confessions and hacks i want to tell amber and ryan how much i have appreciated their podcast i had been diabetic for 17 years and never heard anybody speak about diabetes i didn't have anybody that i knew that was diabetic and i found their podcast just by chance And I binge listened to it and I thought I had found my new best friends because they spoke my language. So I just want to say thank you so much for putting out this content and I'm sure it's really helping a lot of people. Um, My hack is um, doctors usually tell you that uh, when you're low that you should eat 15 carbs and wait 15 minutes to test. Well, sometimes 15 carbs can uh, really jack your numbers up and it can be way too much. Um, like one, one glucose tablet can raise my blood sugar 20 points. So if I'm sitting at 80, um, one glucose tablet could, could work for me. So just be aware of where you're starting out at. And, uh, cause yeah, if you eat 15 carbs right off the bat, that can really skyrocket your blood sugar and that will start the roller coaster. So that is my hack. Announcement number two. I shared a heartfelt message and new podcast platform in episode 65, giving you details as to how I can keep the episodes available for free and hopefully rolling out more episodes as I have a ton of people in the queue. Just a reminder, the membership levels start at five bucks, which is like literally a good cup of coffee or maybe a somewhat questionable craft beer. And each level comes with a perk. And 
in the past couple of episodes, I kind of dangled the carrot and I want to sweeten the pot. With this one, my dear friend and world-renowned artist, Debbie Curtis, has agreed to do a custom Barbie or pet portrait to the hundredth person to sign up. And that's at whatever level. I've been friends with Debbie for years, and she is a big deal as her work is displayed in the Barbie headquarters at Mattel. You can check her artwork out at DebbieCurtisArt.com. The person that ends up being the hundredth person, that's redundant, I will send a personal email to and announce on all social media if that's okay with you. Announcement number three, theme song input. Come on, people. I am absolutely disappointed with the 3,000 plus people downloading each episode. I cannot believe I have not had more input on what in God's name is in your diabetes dialect. The reason I bring this up, and if you don't want to participate, I will take full reins, but I just thought this was kind of a cool idea. Mike Costi, who wrote the theme song and is actually has a top one country song. I don't even know how it all works out. But um, just like last time, he wants, he just asked me to send him a list of diabetes related words and phrases. And we all know that we have our own words for talking about stuff. And I learn something new every day. It's, it's actually pretty entertaining. So you got something you want to say or you want to hear your words put into the theme song, please shoot me your ideas um, to my website that I mean my email address that I keep sharing amber at diabetesdailygrind.com or on any of my social media you can always hit me up on Facebook or whatever just send me a message okay I'm easy to find um and that kind of leads into announcement number four please continue to love like share and comment on anything you see fit don't forget I'm on Facebook Twitter Instagram Pinterest and LinkedIn I think that's it yeah yeah and it's easy to find me And uh, so, yeah, I'd love to hear what you have going on. And I think that wraps up this episode's announcements. But please be sure to listen to the very end as something life-changing might pop up. A little thing called diabetes, it's a daily grind, it's a daily grind. Are you there? I'm here. Woo! Ah. It worked. <laughs> so for the people listening, this has been a challenge the whole day so far with low blood sugars and then uh, Mercury in retrograde. I don't care if you believe it or not, but it is loud and proud in my life right now with all things technology. So, Drew, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> so, I'm sitting in my sunroom here in um, Oklahoma City, and you might hear in the background my AC kick on because it's 101 degrees. And there's a hawk that likes to stalk me, so I'm sure it will make a presence at some point. But, um, Drew, where am I calling you? Where, where do you reside? I am sitting in my bedroom in Denver, Colorado. Uh, you may hear a fan in the background from my end because we are just getting out of the, the worst of the heat wave, but it is still very hot here. Like, what, how hot is it there right now? I mean, and I know it's um, like a different heat, too. Yeah, it, it maxed out at probably like 103 yesterday and the day before. So that's a lot. That's high. Yeah, it was it was a bit much. Okay, let me ask you, and we haven't even gotten into it, but this is a big thing for people with living with type one diabetes. So, do you check more or often or anything because I know heat can affect us, or have you ever had any problems with it? 
Um, I've never had huge problems, but I do check as a precaution because if I'm out in the sun a lot, I know I'm getting dehydrated and sometimes I get a little lightheaded. So I, I like get a little anxious about lows. Sure. Um, and, uh, and so I just like, okay, if I'm, if I'm too high, I'm dehydrating even more. If I'm lightheaded, it could be from a low. So I should really just keep checking. <laughs> the joys. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, we'll start with, okay, so I want to say, start with saying that Drew and I have never met in person. We've only talked on the phone uh, maybe once. And it was really unique in how I came across him in that I had been doing research. I did research about three or four years ago about, a, I don't what would you call it? Is it a group? Is it a club? Um, um, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a program, I guess. Yeah, I okay. Say. Yeah, so it's called Remote Year, and at that point, it was a year-long. It's for people who are entrepreneurs or people that can work remotely, essentially. And they, it, it seemed incredible, but I was the only reason, and I just served the Diabetes Daily Signs, and I was just, you know, I thought this would be so cool to travel the world and talk to people, but then I was like, how am I going to manage my diabetes in other countries? I don't even know if they have the same medications, what if there was an accident, and of course, the fear is just like, shut me down. And that was before I had a CGM. And um, so, anyhow, so in, it came back up on my radar, and now they have four-month programs, and there's one that I'm really interested in. And I told the person that I was chatting with about it that I talked to regularly, I was like, has anybody else with diabetes gone through this? And she said, let me check. And she introduced me to Drew, and I'm just so excited to share his story and hear more about traveling the world, and all the other things that you do, because you seem really, really fascinating. <laughs> um, <laughs> and kind of like that Thank little you. unicorn that, you know, you just don't hear about very often. So, tell me, let's start with I've, your... like, never gotten a better compliment than being called a unicorn, so thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so, tell me about your diagnosis. Um, I was diagnosed about 10 years ago, uh, going coming up on 11 years ago, so at the time I would have been 19. Mm-hmm. Um, which is late for a T&D. Um, yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I was a freshman in college, and uh, as a way to earn a little bit of extra cash, I decided to sign up to be a subject in some medical studies that some of the grad students at my university were doing, and it was very basic. I was going to lift some weights, and they were going to take some tests, and I was going to get paid like $85. Uh, and so I went for the first session to uh, to start doing that and they were running just like they just ran some blood tests and they said oh like sorry you uh you actually don't qualify because your your blood sugar is too high are you sure this is a fasting blood sugar and I was like yeah I'm like very sure and they thought I was lying obviously <laughs> um, and so they were like okay we'll come back tomorrow and actually it needs to be fasting like you cannot eat and I was like okay that's fine sure so I come back and then the next day and they're like it's still it's still too high. If this really is a fasting blood sugar, you, you probably have diabetes. You really should go get checked out. What was um, blood sugar at that point? Or it was like 250 or um, 600? No, it was, uh, I still think it was only in the like 180s because we caught really? it really early, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly. My doctor still, it's a mystery to him how exactly this happened. He says like you probably developed it very late in life. It was triggered by some kind of virus in your body, and it just, like, you started producing these antibodies, um, which is which is terrible. But honestly, like, my A1C at the time was, I want to say, like, 9.1, so it was bad, but not 
not terrible. Yeah, I've heard, you right. know, like we, we obviously hear these horror stories of undiagnosed people who have A1Cs, you know, yeah. 11 and 14 and, you know, like high. Okay, so you're diagnosed. And yeah, so, uh, so I got diagnosed and I started seeing my doctor. At the time I was still, I was still 19, so I was on my parents' health insurance. My dad was in the military, so I went to a military doctor and everybody, they all told me that I had type 2 diabetes. Um, right. every single one because I was diagnosed so late and I was still producing some insulin. Uh, right. And it took, and so they were only treating me with uh, oral medication, with met, metformin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took years uh, before I saw an endocrinologist that was like, hey, we're actually going to test for these antibodies because you might have type 1 diabetes. Um, and, that's, and he found out that I did. Yeah, so then I started, uh, after a while, I started seeing a doctor at the Barbara Davis Center, uh, which mm-hmm. is outside of Denver, very well-renowned um, diabetes research center. And, and he was like, we're, we're going to do tests for these antibodies because, like, it doesn't, you don't seem like a type 2, and I've seen a lot of, you know, late-onset type 1s. So, uh, so ultimately, then we, we discovered that I, was, that I had type 1 diabetes, and I started working, uh, I started doing insulin therapy. Okay, so when he said, okay, it's type 1, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, thank God. Um, so, get what, like, that's such a difference. I mean, so you're going from taking a pill to, okay, well, now you've got to give four injections a day and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I'm glad that they found, figured it out. But, you know, kind of what was your reaction from going, you know, that's such a different diagnosis? Um, it was something that I kind of suspected in the back of my mind. Um, I thought for a long time, like type two just doesn't, just doesn't feel right. You know, like where did this come from? This is so, this is so strange. Right. Um, and, uh, and so when, when I got the T1D diagnosis, I was like, okay, that, that seems to fit a little bit better, even though nobody in my family has it. Um, it just seemed to like make a little bit more sense to me because I don't know, I was, I was young. I have a good diet. I like. I'm, I was relatively fit. Still, am pretty fit. Like, I just didn't. Uh, then, like, you know, not to say that like only unfit people get type two diabetes. It can happen, but yeah. Uh, but it just like I don't know. It just made a little bit more sense to me. Especially at such a young age for you too. I mean, yeah, yeah. I definitely. mean, okay. So now you have type one. What? Did, how did? How were you in the hospital? Did you stay in the hospital? Obviously, you weren't in DKA. So. Did they just give you insulin that day and say, here's what we think you should do? Do you think you got proper education? Um, I actually, like, very much credit. I mean, there was, I got a lot of great education from the Barbara Davis Center, from the people I was seeing locally at the time. I was living in Boulder, Colorado, which is maybe 45 minutes to an hour away from the Barbara Davis Center. So I also had a local clinic that I would go to there, and they had a diabetes educator and a nutritionist on staff that would come awesome. to see me. Um, I... I have so much gratitude for them. They, you know, they wouldn't let me leave the office until they saw me, uh, you know, inject myself with a saline solution. Like, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything right, that I know how to carb count, that I'm journaling my food. At least at first, I don't journal my food yeah. anymore. Um, Were you scared they, to give that first shot? Uh, yeah, there's definitely an adrenaline rush. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you're the older. Just, like, I kind of had to just, like, go for it. I was like, okay, if I hesitate anymore, it's not going to happen, so we're doing it. <laughs> Jump off the cliff. Just make exactly. it happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so I'm glad. I mean, you were really, truly blessed to have had that level of attention. And, and you're old enough to understand it, which is great. And obviously, you took it seriously. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did go through a bit of a rebellious phase. Uh, when I was first diagnosed, I would have these days where I would say, you know, diabetes doesn't control my life. I'm going to have a diabetes-free day where I don't medicate at all and I eat whatever I want because, like, you can't control me, like, that kind of thing. And then, you know, I would just feel terrible. Uh, yeah. and, and it would just be awful. Round number two, everybody. So as, as I, well, you don't know this yet, but so Mercury has been in retrograde and it has absolutely kicked my ass. And so this is kind of part two of this podcast and that Drew was kind enough to connect with me earlier in the week and we did a little bit, which is the intro, but so we're diving back in and uh, I'm excited to hear more about his type one diagnosis. So obviously being diagnosed with any type of diabetes is kind of a kick in the teeth. Um, but the transition from metformin to, oh, wow, now I'm going to have to give injections. You know, what was going on in your mind on that? Yeah, um, you know, it was, uh, I, I mean, I was glad, obviously, to be moving in the direction that was going to get me better treatment, and right. more, you know, appropriate treatment. But, you know, my my blood sugar was better on metformin because I was still producing some insulin right. and metformin was helping me use it more efficiently. So, and it was such an easier, like just a much easier treatment plan than, uh, <laughs> yeah. than taking injections, obviously. Yeah. So there was that like, oh, I have to, now I have to take injections. That's not fun. <laughs> well, and you, uh, you're old enough too at this point. And I, you know, I've s- s- talked with a lot of people that were diagnosed at a young age and, you know, it's overwhelming for anybody. I don't care, but as an adult, I'm willing to bet that it was easier for you to transition into because you could understand the math of the carbs and the insulin regimen, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, carb counting, I, I took to it pretty quickly. Um, and it wasn't, uh, you know, obviously I'm figuring out what my own ratio is and what my correction ratio is when I'm high and things like that. So that took some experimenting, but I felt very up to the task of experimenting. You know, I it wasn't... Uh, it was something I felt like I could handle. Well, and I think that's good to hear, too, as a person that diagnoses as an adult, because as a child, you know, no offense to anybody, they told me what to do and I did it. it there was no room or talk of, hey, you know, maybe you should try this or let's experiment with this. Granted, the insulins that I were on at that point were, were very different in management period. But mm. I love that they gave you the freedom to kind of adjust it as you see fit. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, they told me the rules, you know, and, and then they were like, here's how to, it, it almost felt like a, this is going to sound terrible, but it almost felt like a video game or something like that. <laughs> they were like, this is the, these are the rules of the game. And now you need to play the game the best, you know, win to manage your sugars the best. Right. Uh, and I was like, I think I can do this. Like, I'm going to gamify my disease and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to win. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this out there because I know you're a gamer and I don't know at what capacity, if that means you're a programmer or what, but I kind of feel like there needs to be a type one diabetes game. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I could see that actually working really well for like kids trying to, yeah. you know, trying, trying for it to, to make it seem like not such a burden. Like your blood sugar is this and you want to eat this piece of cake or you're about to get on, you know, go swimming. What do you do? What do you check? I mean, I think that would actually, so 
universe, if you're listening and nobody better steal this from us, we're doing this. You are not. Because I think it would be. It's like, yeah, lessen the burden for kids, especially since everybody's into gaming. Um, Okay, so one of the things that when we talked previously, you didn't leave the office that day before they saw you give a shot, correct? That is correct. They, I had a whole team of you know, amazing diabetes educators and nutritionists and doctors. And they were like, no, we're going to sit down and we're going to, you know, we'll give you a shot to show you how it's done just with saline solution. And then we're going to watch you do it to yourself. Like we're not letting you leave until we are confident you can do this. Right. Um, which was like that tough love approach is really what I needed. Uh, Cause otherwise, you know, I probably would have put it off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, you've given your first shot you go home. Did you do everything that you, I mean, so was it hard to just like jump into it? Um, definitely. Yeah. I, for a long time, I'm not as much like this anymore, but for a long time, I, I still had those moments of rebelliousness against diabetes and wanting to, uh, wanting to just like have a diabetes free day where I eat whatever I want and I don't check my blood sugar and I don't worry about like taking insulin because like I don't let diabetes control me and I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to live my life. How'd that and go? Then, yeah. And then I would feel terrible. I would just like, I was losing the game of my disease. <laughs> and, uh, and so I eventually, you know, grew up and I aged out of, out of that rebelliousness, I guess. And now I, I take better care of myself because yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle feeling so bad all the time. And do you think when you say feeling bad, because in my early 20s, I was, I'm not going to say in denial by any means, but I lived a riskier lifestyle and didn't test. And I still was compliant with giving my insulin injections every day because I was just so accustomed to that. It was like brushing your teeth. But, you know, that was the only time in my life where I had, you know, a a bad episode or whatever we want to call it. Um, do you, when you say feeling bad, was it like you were beating yourself up mentally or was it the fact that you really just physically didn't feel well? Uh, it was mostly physical, actually. Okay. I, uh, around this time in my life, I started getting really heavily into uh, yoga and dance and even into circus arts, which is what I currently do. I practice acrobatics. And, uh, and around that time, a lot of my peers were progressing really well. And I could see that they were, you know, training really, like, uh, really consistently. And on these days where I was feeling rebellious about my diabetes and not testing my blood sugar, I just couldn't train. I like my muscles were tight and I was too tired and I was really dehydrated. And I, I was like, you know, if, if I'm serious about, about practicing acro, I need to take care of my body. I need to like feel better in order to get better. Yeah. And I'm glad that you figured that out sooner than later because not everyone, yeah, realizes that the high blood sugars and all that does have the muscle fatigue and all the things that you were just mentioning. So, um, okay, so let's talk about, and when I proposed on social media, my Instagram and Facebook, when we were recording this the first time, you know, I asked, I was like, hey, what would you ask this person? And of course, I showed the picture that we're going to be using for the um, marketing materials, which is you in a pose, it's beautifully done. Um, <laughs> the, the questions are, where are his devices? So everybody wants to know, are you on a pump? Are you, do you have a CGM? And, and they want to know too, like, what is it when you go into something like that? 
you're obviously it's an athletic thing. I don't know if you're tell us about what you like your blood sugar to be and what you do during those performances. Right. Absolutely. Um, regarding devices, that is actually something that has kept me from getting on a pump or even getting on a CGM. I'm currently, uh, just doing MDI. I use, uh, I use pens to manage my diabetes and it's because I'm constantly, you know, rubbing up against people or fabric or trapeze that I, I don't want to have to worry about a port or, you know, even a CGM on the back of my, on the back of my arm or something like that. Um, you know, the adhesive coming off. And that is unfortunate because I would like to, you know, have the data that a CGM allows, but I, you know, I, I end up just, you know, just trying to manage with, uh, with multiple injections each day. Okay. Well, let me throw something out at you because, and I, I mean, I'm promoting this product personally and they're not paying me because I'm a Dexcom warrior because it has really changed my life. And the G6 is really, really small and flat. And I'm willing to bet because their team has been so, um, res- they respond quickly whenever I pitch a question or somebody has a question. Um, if there's not something that they could do to help you, period, keep on that device or protect it so that it wouldn't inhibit you from doing a performance. And also the Abbott Freestyle Libre, which I've never used, but it's the size of a quarter and it lays very flat to your skin. So if, do you think that if you were to wrap some medical bandage or something that, I don't know, I mean, I feel like there's something that we could do or figure out or someone who's listening could give a recommendation because I really would love to hear what your thoughts are once you dial into that level of technology because it is pretty fascinating. Right. Um, yeah, that is something I've considered, especially with the Libre because it is so slim. Um, and my doctor even mentioned, he said, you know, you don't have to have it on all the time. If you have right. a two week stretch where you're not practicing that much, two weeks of data is better than no data. Right. Like you should still give it a shot. Um, and so um, uh, that's something I'm considering and maybe I'll do in the future. But for now, yeah, for now, I'm just doing just testing as frequently as I can. Well, and that's good. At least you're testing. Some people wouldn't even go that far. So yeah. Yeah, good for you. And so when you go into a performance like that, what do you like your blood sugar to be at? Right. So normally I like my blood sugar. I like to hover around like 120. Okay. Uh, but if I'm going into some a period of activity, like an acro performance or even just a training session, I want that to be a little bit higher because yeah. uh, I start to really, once I'm moving around, I really start to drop pretty quickly. Uh, so I want to be around like 170 usually going into like 150 to 170 going into uh, a training session. And then I know that I won't have to, you know, interrupt my session or interrupt my performance to go get a snack or something like that. Well, and just out of curiosity, because I'm not sure the physicality of it or how, you know, all that works. Is it like, I'm sure there's some adrenaline going on because you are doing something that's incredible and insane in my mind. But, um, but then you also have the physical component that's going to be so do you at the end of a performance ride high because of adrenaline? Or do you feel like you're burning enough to where Oh, you were saying you, you run low. So yeah, I definitely am burning enough. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And if I'm doing it for long periods of time, for instance, I will every now and then maybe a couple times a year, I'll do like week long intensives where I do six hours of acrobatics every day for five days. Um, And in those situations, I after about day one, I stop taking. Are you getting an echo? 
I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, I can keep talking. Um, after about day one, I stopped taking my insulin, even my basal insulin, actually, because I'm just, my body is working so hard and I, I continue to test my blood sugar and I'm eating consistently and I'm trying to eat the right foods. But after a while, I just don't need, I don't need any more, uh, any more insulin for a little while. Isn't that interesting? Like I, no, I can't really get too much into it, but I just started a supplement that claims to lower your A1C and I'm really testing right now because I've had so, I've had quite a few hardcore lows. Can you hear me? Okay, are, do you, can you hear me okay? I can hear you all right, yeah, for sure. It's like cut out there for a little bit. So weird. Drew, someday we're going to meet in person and do another podcast in face-to-face <laughs> with a microphone. I so, I mean, I love technology when it works, but we're, okay, we're back. So, um, gosh, I even lost where we were. Eesh. Okay. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the intensives and how I stopped, I stopped treatment during... Oh, long periods of activity. Well, and I was saying that I had started this supplement and it's supposed to lower my A1C and I'm witnessing and really juggling. I haven't had to give as much insulin. And it's like, I'm very curious about, and why I bring that up is like, when you say you're testing things and you're working your body in a different way, it's pretty fascinating. I always say that we're a walking science project because (laughs) there are so many factors that affect us, right? That's true. Yeah. So the uh, current regimen, we've talked about that. Um, when you were diagnosed, did you know anybody else with type 1 diabetes? Um, I had gone to high school with a couple people with type 1 diabetes, but I honestly wasn't that close to them. Like we were acquaintances more than friends. And I don't even recall if I reached out to them when I was diagnosed because I hadn't, I didn't really have anyone, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I think I tried to reach out to them and just said like, Hey, like, how's it going? I found this out, uh, you know, any words of advice or something right. like that. Uh, but it didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was interesting because also no one in my family, uh, has it, you know, right. I, uh, so they, and because I'm an adult, they never had to be that close to it. They never had to, you know, manage it for me or watch me manage it that closely. Cause I was just, I was taking care of it. Do, did your endocrinologist, once you were diagnosed, did they have any, because now they're talking about environmental factors, um, something stress related. Do they, did they say anything about maybe what any, any signs or whatever? Um, as to as for how it started, yeah, like how your body Not started really. to uh, you know, that's interesting. So, do you feel like you were going through a hard time or anything else that like prior to you being diagnosed? I mean, like I had pneumonia a lot as a kid, so I was always on medication. Um, I was a sick kid, you know. And the, anywho, and if you don't have anything, no worries. I was just curious as an adult if something else might have happened in your life that I'm going to say is a trigger, and I don't know that that's the correct term. You know, in retrospect, I see some of the symptoms, um, but honestly, when I was diagnosed, it wasn't that bad. We caught it really early. And I see, like, looking back, I'm like, oh, okay, like, I was drinking a lot of water. I was getting up several times a night to use the bathroom, but I just thought that I was, you know, like, a sleepy kid with dry skin who liked <laughs> to drink a lot of water or right, something like right. that. You know, I just, like, I, I didn't really see those for what they were, and so it's hard for me to 
to look back and say, oh, that was that was potentially a trigger. I would be curious. And if you do think about that and, and now that we've met, you know talked about it, if it, you, that anything ever comes up, I would be very curious to hear because, you know, you're like I said, or, you know, just you're a unique story and in, in so many ways. And it's fascinating. So I want to then now tap into one of the reasons why we're connected, which is remote years. So I'm going to add that in the show notes so people can look it up. It's a, and please chime in at any point because you obviously know this, the, the program better than I do. But when you signed up, it's a 12 month program and you travel from country to country with a group of 34 other people. And it's a lot. I mean, it's, you, you're packing for a year. Is that correct? Yeah, I um, so when I started the program, which would have been August of 2017, they were actually doing larger groups. So I had a group of about 60 people. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, that I met in uh, in Croatia, and I, you know, threw everything I thought I might need for a year into a couple bags and and took off, and just to see how it went. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Here's my question on that. So how many? If you remember, for the love of all things holy, um, like tons of test strips, how much insulin? I mean, mm-hmm. were, were, is that like a whole separate suitcase? Because God knows we have to take a lot of stuff. Right. So my carry-on bag was pretty much exclusively diabetes supplies. Right. Um, like my checked bag was everything else I would need. And then my carry-on was just diabetes stuff. And I uh, try, did my best to stockpile as much as I could before yeah. I left. Um and so I had about a year and a half supply of insulin in the form of pens. And I had about nine months worth of test strips and about six months worth of pen needles. Um, and like, and I was just, obviously this isn't a year. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll deal with it later. I'll figure it out <laughs> on the road. Basically I'll figure out how to get more test strips. Um, I'll figure out how to get more pen needles. This will be okay. And I just kind of trusted that that the world would have these things, you know? <laughs> okay, with the pin needles, and they're going to be pissed that I say this, but, like, I use a syringe for one insulin, and I use a pin for the other. Like, I can reuse, or I'll keep that pin needle on for three shots. Did you ever think of kind of extending the life of the needle? Um, there were times when I was running low, when I was on my last box and I was having some trouble getting, you know, uh, in the country we were in. And so I would say like, okay, I'm going to start reusing some of these needles until we get to the next country. And like, hopefully the next country is better. Um, (laughs) and it usually was honestly, like for instance, Thailand, I had a lot of trouble finding pen needles in Thailand. Um, but in Colombia, they were so available. Um, really? Like I could get them delivered to my door for five dollars. You know what I mean? And they were just like incredibly. It was so easy to get. Did you have to so have a prescription you, for that? No. Um, in <laughs> Colombia, there's actually this app, this smartphone app called Rapi, um, and you just like you can order anything. You can order groceries. You can order prepared food from restaurants. You can order things from the pharmacy, and you just like. I just said like pen needles, please, and they showed up at my at my door. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. It was honestly amazing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's tell. Please tell if you can remember the your travel history there. Tell, let's hear the stops. So, what countries were you in? 
Okay, sure. Um, so yeah, I started in Croatia, and then we went to the Czech Republic, and then Portugal. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in Morocco, then all the way to Japan. Wow. And then Malaysia. Uh, I went down to Australia for a little bit. Oh. Back up to Thailand, then Cambodia, uh, then Argentina, and then Peru, Colombia, Cuba, and Mexico. And not all of those were for, like, the longest of those were for eight weeks. The shortest was for, you know, only about a week. Okay, here's a question for you, because I really, well, I, I, can, I struggled in the beginning. I've been... I've traveled internationally, but one of the hardest trips, kind of, I guess I should say, is I went to New South Wales, Australia, and was there for five weeks. And because at that time I was on Lantis, that, um, well, that doesn't even matter, but I had to give that shot at a certain time. So, like, changing, I was so far, you know, from, it flipped my life upside down, you know? Did you? Absolutely. And from you traveling from that, from country to country was such a, Tell me how you manage that. So this is something that's not ideal in my management strategy when it comes to traveling. When I'm doing these long haul flights where I'm changing time zones really drastically, I will uh, let myself, I'll I'll wait to take my long acting insulin. I'm on Basaglar. I'll wait to take my Basaglar until the time that I would be taking it in the time zone I'm going to. Right. Uh, so that usually results in a period where there's no long-acting insulin in my system. And that's unfortunately also a period where I'm sitting a lot because yeah. I'm on a plane for, yeah. you know, eight to ten hours. And so that's a situation where I need to test a lot. I'm taking, I'm upping my bolus insulin yeah. every time I, t- I have a meal on the plane. Um, I'm doing my best to get up and walk around. I'm doing my best to stay hydrated, uh, especially because planes are dehydrating for you anyway. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like that is definitely something that it's the best way I've come to figure it out or I've come to manage it is just to wait until until the time I would take it in the coming time zone. But it's not ideal. I wonder if there's like, and I'm, as I'm staring at my cell phone, if there's an alarm or something that it's not dependent upon the actual time, but if it went off every 24 hours. So no matter where you were in the world and what time it was, that alarm would go off letting you know to give that shot. And then once you got into the country and got a little more acclimated and you could then shift things, you know, I... Yeah, make a slower shift over yeah. a few days or whatever. And I'd be curious... That makes sense. It, well, and I'd be curious, too, for people that are on insulin pumps to where it's a totally different ball game. So I would, I guess, maybe it would be easier to travel if you didn't have to worry about that 24 yeah, every you know t- every 24 hours kind of shot or whatever so yeah yeah i would imagine okay so you have plenty of insulin you taken every all your test strips and whatever did you come across anything and for me because i have a restricted diet purposefully um, when i travel sometimes i find it challenging to eat things especially or i don't know i was talking about an ethiopian restaurant today here in oklahoma city and i was like I didn't know the carbs of whatever the spongy bread that they use instead of a fork. And I, I mean, did you ever come across anything that was a little bit challenging when it came to your carb counting? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Carb counting unfamiliar foods was obviously strange. 
you know, taking my insulin before taking my mealtime insulin before I see the food come out and then maybe restaurants operate at a slower pace in other countries. So then I end up going a little bit low before I'm eating like that was unfortunate a few times. Uh, so I, there's definitely, I'm, I became known as snack mom in my travel group because <laughs> I always kind of erred on the side of, I'm going to take one unit more than maybe I should, but then I always have snacks just in case. And if right. I feel myself going low, I'll have a snack with it. Um, so I like, I became known as the person who always had a backpack full of, you know, crackers and fruit and nuts and granola bars and things. I bet you made a lot of friends that way. I definitely made a lot of friends. Yeah, for sure. Anytime somebody was crabby, I could just give them a snack and they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they're hangry. You're like, come on, people. I know I've got what you need. Um, so any other travel? Okay, so how long have you had type 1 diabetes before this adventure started? Um, I probably had it for about eight years okay. or so, eight or nine. Yeah. Were you nervous at all? going very much so okay yeah i almost yeah i almost let my diabetes stop me from going i applied for remote year kind of on a whim never thinking that i would get in and then when i got in and when my company said yeah like you can work remotely for a whole year you should do this then i was like well can oh, i do this do? do i actually yeah. think i can i can manage this like i don't have enough supplies to take with me even if i do what if i lose them what if my bag gets lost or something like that um and so i i almost let it stop me and then i i sat down with a friend of mine and and we had this long talk about living your life in fear or yeah. and like am i gonna let this stop me from like what what's the next thing i'm gonna let it stop me from doing basically right. like how small am i gonna let my world get before that's enough um, really well said. And ultimately, yeah, ultimately I was like, okay, like I'm, yeah, we're not having this. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to even start down this road because that's terrible. <laughs> like I can't let it get too small. That's, oh, I love that. Um, I look back in my 36 years of having diabetes and not many things, I think because I never really talked about it or whatever. So I, I, I don't know. I, I did everything and, um, I remember somebody saying you traveled alone by internationally by yourself. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I? Well, have you ever thought about, you know, diabetes? It was like, oh yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, yeah. And I think that's, uh, and as I've said many times, the whole reason the real life diabetes podcast and the blog started was because Myself and my, at that point, business partner, Ryan Fightmaster is like, we've done so many incredible things. And my parents never once said, I don't know if you should do that. With the exception of when I was really young and I wanted to play soccer. And I think they thought that might be a little bit too hard on my body because what if I went low or whatever? Um, granted, technology was so different and whatever. But yeah, I am, I, I feel... What is that? What is that noise? Sorry, there is a car alarm outside my apartment right now. <laughs> okay, so you our have, timing is really good. We, this is uh, this is going to be the best episode ever. I can feel it already. <laughs> um, so, okay, you've only had diabetes for ten ish years, and 
we have kicked off this new diabetes hacks and confessions and things like that. So self-discovery, is there anything that you have kind of figured out on your own that you haven't read or, you know, just uh, something that might help somebody else find the light or a new way to do things? Oh, gosh. I know that's a hard uh, that's one. A this order. is like, I'm right. And again, I just outed myself about, you know, reusing syringes and whatever. But um, how often, here's um, a question, do, how often do you oh change God. your Lancet? Oh, gosh. My, I haven't changed my Lancet in probably a month. That's, I'm terrible <laughs> about it. <laughs> that's, I mean, I. <laughs> We used to have, we had a hashtag that was like, liberate your Lancet. So it was like on the 14th, which is uh, National Diabetes Day is November 14th. On the 14th, everybody in the diabetes community, for the love of all things holy, change your Lancet. Give your fingers a break. (laughs) You know, after we hang up from this call, I'm going to change my Lancet. You've inspired me. (laughs) I changed, I changed, uh, yesterday I changed my Lancet, my sensor, and put in a new transmitter. And I was like... I'm a robot. Everything is now. That's a good day. Yeah. <laughs> it was a huge curve, but whatever. Um, so, okay, I, I like to ask people about their diets. And because you're so athletic, do you – tell me about, like, your your regular eating habits. Um, so I have a very strange diet. <laughs> I – choose to be uh, vegan at home, which is I decided I wanted to reduce the amount of animal products in my diet without fully cutting them out. And so I decided, okay, anytime I go to the grocery store and anytime I cook food at home, it will all be vegan food. Um, But when I go out to restaurants or when I go to my family's house and they're preparing me food or something like that, anytime somebody cooks food for me, I'll eat whatever. Um, but yeah, so when I'm home, I eat a lot of uh, like tofu and beans and lentils yeah. and brown rice and things like that. Like a lot of grains that have a lot of fiber and a lot of uh, and a lot of protein in them. And I, I'm hoping there's a lot of fresh vegetables involved. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely get my fair share of greens and things. And I think that well, okay, well. I just went to lunch today with a friend that was in town and we were talking about it and she ordered Canadian bacon on her pizza. And of course I have a completely veggie pizza. And she was asking me, she was like, well, does, did you stop eating these things because of diabetes? And I was like, no, not at all. I just realized there was like, you kind of said, I mean, I wanted less animal products in my diet, I guess. And that was at age 14. And what I have found is that through my regular blood panels and whatever is that that was a really good decision especially at a young age because I didn't eat hamburgers and hot dogs and you know the everyday things which made my life pretty complicated but I'm glad that I made that decision because I'm reaping the benefits as an adult Um, absolutely so you've been vegetarian since then I wouldn't say vegetarian I don't I eat chicken and fish and um try not to as often but Anything from the sea, I feel good about, um, which I know now that things are changing, that might not be the case. But yeah, it's just, yeah, which makes things, when, especially when you go on a date and you're like, okay, so I'm the high maintenance one and I've got to, I can't eat this, won't eat this, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I feel good about it. And I, 
eat a pretty low carb diet. And if I do eat carbs, it's going to be like what you were just saying, beans, um, high fiber, um, cause mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't drag you down like a piece of bread or, or whatnot. So, um, okay. Here's a question. What is your go-to low blood sugar snack? Um, I always have, uh, I'll give like a little shout out for, uh, kind pressed bars. I don't know if like, uh, they're like my favorite kind bars has these, this line of pressed bars. That's literally just dried fruit and chia seeds. Yeah. So they have like one that's like apple, dried apple, dried mango and chia seeds. And that's it. Um, and they're like maybe 30 grams of carbs each or so. Uh, and they are delicious. I always have a stockpile of them in my pantry. Well, and two, I'm sure they're easy to put in your pocket. Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, yeah. One thing though, I like, I used to, I am like a notorious snacker, even when I'm not low. So sometimes I do have to force myself to buy low blood sugar snacks that I don't like the taste of because otherwise I'll just keep eating them. So I have to say like, I'm saving this for an emergency. (laughs) Yeah. Ryan used to keep candy in his car that he didn't like. Because it, that would be his, he knew that if he had a low, it was, it was going to be there because he wasn't going to just pull it out and, and eat it. So that, I think that's, Absolutely. that's pretty funny. And uh, that's a good life hack. That's a diabetes hack right there. Um, I have just recently gotten back into berry Skittles. And I will, really? oh. oh, they're so amazing. And I will just eat like six at a time. And let's just see where it goes. Or Starburst. I do love Starburst, yeah. Oh, gosh. And, well, and I'll keep, and they're easy to keep in my pocket. Like, if I go for a jog, that's something small. Well, and again, like a bar. and But it's not going to weigh you down. It's not, anywho, yeah. Sugary snacks. So, one last question, and going back to the remote year. Did you come across anything besides, like, we talked about the eating and obviously different diet stuff? Anything else that set you back or was a, a little bit of a challenge? And if so, how did you overcome it? One thing that I I really didn't anticipate uh, was the weight of the insulin in my bag. Oh. Uh, you know, in the U.S., they don't really weigh carry-ons very often. So it's never a problem to, like, pack, a, pack your carry-on with a lot of stuff. But some countries are really strict. Some airlines are really strict about you can only have a carry-on that weighs no more than seven kilos or something like that. And, you know, with all of my insulin and all of my supplies and my carry-on, it was, you know, topping out at around 11 or 12 kilos. And so there were definitely some airlines that were like, you're going to have to check that. And I got into fights with people at the airport saying, I am 100% not checking this bag. Like, yeah. I cannot check this bag. Uh, this has all of my medication in it. And some airlines would say, like, oh, it's medication. You're fine. You can do whatever you need. Uh, but, no, there were definitely times where I didn't realize how heavy it was, and I didn't realize that that would be a problem, and it turned into a problem. Wow. That's a tough one. That is, yeah. I, what I ended up doing, and this is, like, I don't know, maybe unethical, but I just, I was like, okay, I'll go make it lighter. And I walked around the corner, took a bunch of stuff out, gave it to my friend. And then I walked back and said like, okay, yeah, it's lighter. You can weigh my bag now. And as soon as they weighed it and they like gave it the tag that it was good, I walked back around the corner and just stuffed everything back in there. You know, at the end of the day that, you know, if you're (laughs) looking at the weight of what's going to be on the plane, the weight is still there. It's just distributed differently. 
And I think exactly. that's brilliant. And I'm not asking anyone to lift it. I'm going to do the Yay! lifting of it. Like, yeah. That's your diabetes hack right there. That is a solid <laughs> hack. And thankfully, you were traveling. To airlines. Yeah. You were traveling with enough people that somebody was willing to do that for you because they understood that you, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Absolutely. It's so crazy. Oh, wow. We need to give a shout out to whomever was kind enough on your remote your trip to do that for you. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, so I'm I'm really, really, really considering remote year for this December. And I've talked to you about the trip that I'm looking at. Um, any pieces of advice you would give? Um, you know... One thing that I said to myself before I started remote year was that you can't do everything. When you're out there traveling, you're going to be working a lot and you're going to be, you you know, there's always something fun to do and there's always someone to do it with because you're in this group of people that are also trying to make the most of the situation. Right. And you really have to have to choose what is important to you. What do you want to get out of this? And then only do those things, you know, Uh, because if you tried to do everything you would just drive yourself crazy you wouldn't sleep first of all and you still wouldn't get to do everything and then you would just beat yourself up about how you were you know not getting not making the most of this experience that's that's well said (laughs) and as we all and like oh is it fear of missing out yeah, you have absolutely. to remember you got to take care of yourself. And I'm not saying that we have a we do have a disability, but we have to remember that our bodies do not regenerate, they do not rehydrate, they don't do the same things that the the person with not that doesn't have diabetes. So just to you know be a little bit more cautious of that. And yeah, I like that. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share about your life with diabetes for the listeners? No, I've had a great time talking to you, Amber. Yeah, and here's what, so when you do your performances, is it open to the public? Uh, some of them are, yeah, for sure. I've, I've definitely performed for private events and things, but a lot, I've, definitely, I've also performed at uh, public things. Well, how about this? If you'll send me maybe some upcoming performances, if you have anything or links or whatever to centers or where facilities where you're doing it, I'd love to include that because I will, I have found such great friends on Comfort in the diabetes community because people want to see us all succeed so if you want to pack the house maybe you could be supported by some other people that get it okay yeah that sounds great i'll send you something all right well thank you so much for taking time and for your patience thank you mercury retrograde for being on the tail end of this shit show of all things technology and um i look forward to staying in contact with you drew as i hopefully embark on my remote year trip yes thank you so much and i hope you have an amazing time on remote year i will all right well have a good weekend you too okay well after fighting all things technology and having a hawk you know stalk me in the background we made it through the interview and drew is such a kind soul to be so patient (laughs) his story is a friendly reminder to me to not let fear keep me from doing something um so i hope to set off for a voyage in early 2020 
More details coming soon, but I will say this. Just like my travels throughout the United States and getting to know other people, seeing what they're doing, what their hacks are and stuff like that, just think how cool it would be to hear something from someone living in Portugal, Spain, South Africa, and Croatia. So I'm, I'm really excited to find out how people across the world are managing their disease because everyone is doing it differently. I sure, I bet I could learn something. <laughs> Anywho, um, but before I wrap up this episode, I have a few last items I would greatly appreciate your input on or just if you will take the time to listen all the way to the end. Number one, the real life, and I'm keeping you guys up to date because this is growing quickly, is the Real Life Diabetes Consulting Group. Our growth and momentum is often fueled by hearing a story from someone frustrated with their doctor, the situation, the tech company, or an unpleasant experience they had in someone's office. The very reason we started this is to help bridge the communication gap, more specifically between the patient and the doctor. I mean, we aren't always being forthcoming and honest with how we're managing our disease, and we don't want to be judged by a number. How can we, as a team and as a community, make that a better situation? I want to say as well, we're not, we want, I want your input. What do you need from them? Um, And I'm asking them, you know, what can they do? What do they need from us to help, you know, better quality of life for us? So I need your help. I need your feedback. So shoot me a story or a situation um, as to how we can improve things for other people living with diabetes. Number two. In order for the podcast to remain available for free, I need your help. And I've been kind of like skating around this, but guys, this is an expensive venture and I have so much more I want to do. So I, I just ask that you please take a moment to check out the new membership platform on the website and, and hope you will consider signing up, not consider, sign up and share with a friend or on social media or in your medical group. Because I know that you guys are listening and the sky is the limit. And I want, to bring a, I want to bring in a team of people that I already have in mind to help grow the content. I mean, just think if there was a podcast every week or you, there was a video clip of me cooking with somebody or a healthier way, a healthy hack um, in a local restaurant. I mean, the sky's the limit and I am truly a dreamer. So I've got a lot of ideas. I just need your help to fund it simple and I have a solid list of future podcast guests and depending on your membership level and I don't like that term you can be privy to who they are and the opportunity to submit submit a question or two I mean I've got some pretty fabulous very interesting guests what you know one I'll give you a little teaser one person was a late onset misdiagnosed no kind of misdiagnosed I guess um, and took his love of one product um, to the next level so that he could enjoy it with type 1 diabetes and not like hit the ground with a high blood sugar. So it was fascinating to learn about it. And I look forward to trying this um, and we'll report back. But he is a solid guest and uh, you'll hear more about him soon. Um, And then, you know, if there's any subject that you are thinking about this, you know, there's no nothing's off limits. And I'm happy to research stock, um, find someone that might be able to help us and uh, to provide you with what you are interested in. So if you have feedback, ideas, comments, or complaints, please send them to amber 
at diabetesdailygrind.com and I will get back with you as soon as I can. I hope everyone is having a fabulous summer and your blood sugars aren't bottoming out with the ridiculous heat and your Dexcom staying on while you're swimming in the pool. So keep it up, diabetes. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Brick her to the finger to deliver the brick. Wake up tomorrow and it starts again because I'm alive. Yes, I'm Diabetes is the daily grind and the daily grind And it grinds and grinds and grinds and grinds You got to watch what you're eating You gotta watch it every day What do you call it? What do you call it? Is it diabetes or diabetes? Had to check and see if the level is up or down. What'd you have for dinner? What'd you have for lunch? Did you have too many or not enough? Get all the levels to shoot up, shoot up, shoot up, shoot up, shoot up, shoot up, cause I'm alive. Yes, I'm alive. One minor Diabetes is the daily grind and the daily grind Grinds and grinds and grinds and grinds Because I'm alive Yes, I'm alive One minor inconvenience A little thing called diabetes is the daily grind Little thing called diamond